0: Welcome to the podcast of The Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, hey, church family, again, it is so good to be with you. I have missed you guys so much, both through COVID as well as through my sabbatical Um, But as I I shared this past Sunday that we uh, find ourselves in a moment uh, as a church of transition and I did not see this one coming and frankly I'm still a bit shocked as I'm sure so many of us are. But as I shared this past Sunday, this summer, uh, the Lord began to speak to me very clearly about a new season that he's calling me into which involves me stepping down as lead pastor of The Vine, and I I shared that story in detail at our town hall. And so if you weren't there, I encourage you to watch the replay. We sent out a link this past week with uh, a link to the the replay of that, and I I encourage you to watch that. But just for those who weren't there, I'll share just a brief recap. So this summer, when I took some time off, I, I began struggling with some health issues. And if I'm honest, it was really hard. But part of the silver lining of that is that it helped me slow down long enough to really begin to listen in a very deep way to the Lord. And and as I did, he began speaking to me about a new season, uh, about a new assignment. And and I was, again, I was caught off guard by that, but I, I began to enter into a very thorough discernment process. I hired a coach, I sought wise counsel. I spent so many hours in prayer. Uh, but uh, through that process, I just got so much clarity and even confirmation from wise counselors and even multiple specific uh, prophetic confirmation. I can't share all the details, but, but just to sum up what I believe the Lord uh, is calling me and our church into in this moment, I want to share with you a picture that I, I feel the Lord gave to me when I was in prayer, and it's the picture of a phase one rocket And I don't know if that will mean anything to you, but let's say you're trying to launch a satellite into space. Well, to do that, you need a rocket. And that rocket has different components. And the first is the phase one rocket. And it has a singular mission, namely to launch that rocket to a sufficient altitude, to get it to a sufficient trajectory so that it can get to its intended destination. Now, in order to do that, it has to use up all the fuel in its tank. But once its job is done, it's launched that rocket at that moment, its job at that point is actually to detach, to let go so that the rocket can then move and get to where it's supposed to go. And and I felt like the Lord was saying to me through that, that, that I'm like that phase one rocket, that I've completed the mission he gave me in planting this church And now it's on a wonderful trajectory. I'm so excited about what God is doing in and through this church. But now in this moment, he has a new assignment for me, I believe. And and really the only way I can step into that and actually the only way this church can get to where it's supposed to go is if I let go, is if I say goodbye. And so as you can imagine, the past few weeks, I've been thinking a lot about how do you say goodbye? Goodbye. As a pastor, and especially as a founding pastor, how do you say goodbye to a group of people you love so much? There's a quote I came across this summer that's, that's helped me, and it's the idea that life is not a problem to be solved. It is a story to be lived. And I don't know what the next several chapters of my life will look like. We're all in the middle of our stories but I do know that our stories will be marked by the faithfulness of God. And I also know that a real important part of story and of life is saying goodbye. And so this morning I want to say goodbye well. I wanna honor the relationships that we have and I wanna honor and give praise to God for just the amazing things we've experienced in the journey we've been on together these past eight years. And so how do you say goodbye? Well, this summer I've been reading through the book of Acts. It's just an amazing book. And it turns out, however, that one of the most famous farewells in all of scripture is in Acts chapter 20. And it's the story of Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. It's a very similar situation. Uh, This is a farewell address. Paul has spent three years ministering in the church at Ephesus. He's been ministering in the region for probably eight years. He's been preaching and teaching and discipling and, and planting churches and just sharing his heart and his life with these people. But now in this moment, the Lord is calling him to a new thing. And in verse 22, he says, and now compelled by the spirit. In other words, this transition for Paul isn't something that he initiated. This isn't Paul bailing on the Ephesian church. This is something the spirit of God had initiated. And so Paul says, compelled by the spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. And, and friends, you just have to know that this transition that we're in, it's, it's not me bailing on you guys. I love you guys. This is something I believe the Lord has initiated. in. If I'm honest, I only accepted it after he basically hit me upside the head with a two by four. Like it had to be that clear for me to accept. And and, and this new call, frankly, became so clear that I became convinced and my wise counselors agreed that for me to not to listen and to follow would be disobedience. And so I'm having to learn to say goodbye. But in this passage, Paul goes on to share parting words with the Ephesian elders who he loves so much. And, 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 and for my message today, I just want to draw some inspiration from Paul's message. And this isn't going to be a typical sermon. I'm not going to go line by line or word by word. This is going to be a bit more informal and, and personal in light of the occasion. But I want to use sort of the framework of Paul's address to help frame my thoughts today. But before we continue, let me just, let me just pray for us. Father, I am just so um, humbled and thankful for you and for your grace, your mercy, your kindness, and the privilege I've had of being the founding pastor of this amazing church. Father, I thank you for these dear friends. And I pray, Lord, that you would make yourself so real now, to everyone watching, that you would bring hope where people need hope, that you would bring comfort where people need comfort. But I I pray, Lord, in this moment that you would teach us how to say goodbye and to say goodbye well. Lord, we say that we love you, we trust you, and Holy Spirit, would you just come and just guide us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, the first thing Paul does in his farewell to the Ephesians is that he reminds them of their shared story and and what it was all about. And in the Bible, there's a really big emphasis placed on remembering because this is something that helps orient us in our lives. And so as we move now from volume one, as it were, to volume two of the story of the Vine Church, I wanna start this morning just by reminding us of our shared story the story of this church, how we got started, and why we started this church in the first place. And some of you have been with us since the beginning. Others have only joined our community more recently, but I just think it's so important that we begin this morning by remembering the beautiful story that God has been writing through our lives. But to be honest, the story of this church is an underdog story. It's it's sort of like the ultimate underdog story. Uh, Statistically speaking, uh, we should not be here um, if you do the, you know, look at the studies, that most church plants don't make it, but especially in Southern California, and even more so in this specific area. And when we were first planting this church, I had some people uh, share some tremendously encouraging uh, things with me. For example, uh, things like, you know, this is uh, what they call church planters' graveyard, uh, or this is where church planters go to not go to die. And I'm like, thank you so much. For that word of encouragement. Like, thank you for your faith. Thank you for believing in us. You know, thank you so much. Uh, and those things are true statistically, but add to that the way in which this church was started, which is like the most unlikely long shot church plant ever. So let me just sh- share the story to highlight not only where we've been, but also just the faithfulness and goodness of God in our story. I want you to see that. So Rewind, just several years ago, I was on staff at a church, a lovely church in Costa Mesa uh, called Holy Trinity, which Ansley and I helped plant. And at the time, Holy Trinity was, was a still a young, small church plant, maybe two years old at the time. And one day, our senior pastor, who is also our bishop, Todd Hunter, amazing man, he uh, sat down with Ansley and I and he said, guys, I, I want you to pray about planting a church out of Holy Trinity, I, I have a sense, I, I think that might be something that God is calling you to. And so we said, hey, uh, we'll pray about that. We'll, we'll, we'll consider that. And well, two days later, I got a call from a friend and mentor who, who was a, a pastor. And he said, uh, Michael, I want to let you know that I'm going to be retiring a, as pastor, lead pastor of my congregation. And, and and I would like to ask you to pray about possibly becoming the new lead, lead pastor. And, 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 and now this was what you have to know is this is a church that they actually had some money, they, uh, they had people, they had a, a building or at least a place where they met. And, and so you can imagine which opportunity looked more attractive to Anzi and I. I mean, we had a newborn baby. I mean, it was just seemed like a no-brainer. But as we prayed, we felt that God made so clear that he was actually calling us uh, to plant this church. And as you can imagine, that was just like a huge step of faith because this wouldn't be the typical Orange County church plant. and, and uh, Because what that looks like, you know, typically is more like maybe, you know, a mega church might say, hey, we would like a campus in, in this city. You know, so here's, here's 200 people. Here's, here's a lot of money and funding. Here's uh, maybe branding and administrative infrastructure and, and so on. And that's wonderful. But the invitation for us was not that. And the invitation in front of us was basically starting from scratch. Our mother church was still a young a small church plant at the time. And so it really had no money to give us. Our diocese was actually itself young. And so it was able to give us a little bit of money that first year, but really it didn't and it didn't have a lot. Uh, and so this has like, been like the long shot of long shots in church planning. But Anseline and I were just so convinced that God was in it, and that's what he was calling us to. And so we said yes. And we began to share the sense of call with A few friends, uh, and some of you are probably uh, watching online, so bless you. Uh, And we uh, also started a small group in in Fullerton, an emphasis on small. Uh, And we did that in the hope that that would be a seed that would grow into a church, something that would bless lives and bless cities. And little by little, that small group grew. And at one point, when we had around maybe, I don't know, 15, tops, 20 people who were committed to planting this church with us, I've really felt like I heard the Lord say, now is the time. Now is the time to go public and, and, and start public worship services. And you have to understand that is crazy. If you read the church planting literature, which tends to be written by uh, people from mega churches, they say, you know, when you find your first 50 people or your first 60 people, you know, then maybe you should go public. But we were a long ways from that. But we just really believed We heard from the Lord, and so we went for it. And in the process, we broke practically every best practice uh, in the book, in church planning. But here's what I want you to see. We're here. Like eight years later, we're here. And by every statistic, we should not be here, but we're here. God has been so faithful. He's done such amazing things. And it's not just that we're here. I mean, every year we've seen the Lord do just amazing things. Every year we've grown Uh, Each year we've seen lives change. Uh, We've seen people come to faith or come back to faith. We've seen people come back to the church for the first time in decades. We've seen uh, people experience growth uh, and formation in their lives. We've seen people experience hope and healing. And transformation. We've seen the hungry fad. We've seen people get off the streets. We've seen people get off drugs. We've seen uh, people experience healing and people raised up and sent out to different parts of the world in, in various industries and ministries. And we've even been able to help other church plants. And so it's just amazing as I reflect on all that the Lord has done. And how even in this time of COVID-19, I feel like our our fruitfulness as a congregation has only increased. And so the first thing I just want to say in light of that is praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, you creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise God. Friends, we have so much to be thankful for as we reflect on what he has done these past eight years. The second thing I wanna say in light of this story is just I wanna say thank you. Thank you to everyone who's been a part of this journey with us. Uh, Thank you to those who've prayed. Thank you to those who sacrificed. Thank you to those who believed in us and, and took a chance on a young rookie church planner and joined up with this mission. Thank you to those who've given financially. Thank you uh, to those who've sacrificed. Thank you each and every person. It has been such an honor to plant this church with you and be your pastor. One of the highest honors of my life. And, and this church was not just planted by Ansley and I, but by every single person who's joined us in this mission. So I just wanna say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. My family has a cabin in the Santa Cruz mountains, which my grandfather and my great grandfather built by hand. And, and so as you can imagine, it's been an emotional couple weeks with all the fires in that area. I think it's going to be okay. But in that cabin, there's this little wooden plaque that somebody carved by hand. I don't know who, but it says this. I want to share this with you. It says, only one life twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And friends, the journey uh, we've been on together is something that will last and which will have echoes into eternity. So thank you for being a part of this journey with us. Now in a moment, I want to share a few stories because uh, they're just too good. And just, I want to celebrate what God has done. But first, I just want to remind us of the vision we, we had in, in planting this church. And so you might wonder, well, why, why did we plant this church? Well, Part of the answer is, well, in response to a call from God, but you still might wonder, well, what was the animating vision? Like what makes this church tick? And and really the answer is this, our vision, our dream, our deepest heart's desire is to see our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. To see our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. That has been our dream, that has been our prayer And of course, there's so much we could talk about in terms of that vision. But here's how I'll boil it down. We've always had a vision for a city, not just for a church. We've always had a vision for a city, not just for a church. And I think the temptation in American Christianity is just to have a vision for a church or uh, even more sort of myopically just for a church service. But what, I, what I've tried to communicate throughout the years is that is too small of a vision because gave, Jesus gave a bigger vision and he gave his life for a bigger vision. Just for example, in the Lord's prayer, Jesus taught us to pray what? He said, our father, he said, this is how you should pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? on earth, in other words, in this city, in this neighborhood, wherever you are, as it is in heaven. And so what we see through this, because Jesus is letting us in on his heart and on the Father's heart, and what we see here is that what what our God is about is bringing up there, down here. He's not just about a, a cool church or a cool worship service, and hey, that's great. But his vision is always bigger than that because Jesus didn't die on a cross and rise from the dead And ascend to the right hand of the Father and pour out his Holy Spirit just so that we would gather for an hour on a Sunday. No, his vision is so much bigger than that. He wants to see his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. He wants to see up here, up there rather, come down here. He wants to see his kingdom come in our lives, in our relationships, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our cities, and therefore, What that means is that any place that is out of alignment with that, he wants to see transformed by his love. And so that really has been our vision because that is his vision. And that's really the why behind the what of everything we've done these past eight years. So just for example, that's why we gather on Sundays, because even when it's online, because when God's kingdom comes, that looks like people worshiping the one true God. That's why we teach through the scriptures, because we are transformed for the renewing of our minds. That's why we collect an offering, because God kingdom, God's kingdom looks like generous hearts, and that can't happen in the abstract. That's why we care for the poor, because that's what the kingdom of God looks like. Uh, this is why we do laundry shower ministry. This is why we've done Alpha, because uh, the God's kingdom is about people being reconciled with the God who loves them. This is why we do small groups and, and help missionaries and church plants, because that's what the kingdom of God is like. And, and so that really has been our, 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 our vision this whole time, to see our lives and our cities transformed with the love of Jesus Christ. And that's really the why, of everything we've done and that which has oriented us as a church. And friends, just in, in passing, I just want to say that I believe that there's actually never been a better time to be the church and our building may be closed and we grieve that. And I know we're all longing for the ability to gather in person and worship, but I just want to say that even though our building is closed, that, that our cities, I believe, have actually never been more open. I can't tell you I've had more and better spiritual conversations with people outside the church since COVID hit than probably the prior several years combined. And so I just want to say uh, there's so much opportunity for us to love our cities in this moment. But uh, just as we move on, I just want to share with you a few stories of ways we've seen God at work transforming lives and and and, and at work in our cities and uh There are just so many stories I could share. I'm going to have to be selective, um, but truly is remarkable what we've seen the Lord do. So this first story I want to share uh, illustrates a few of our core values. So maybe I'll I'll point that out as we go. And, And one of our core values as a church has been this idea of safe harbor, that we've always wanted to be a church where everyone is welcome, regardless of their background, because we see that in the ministry of Jesus. I mean, he was so welcoming that people who wouldn't feel welcome anywhere else in society felt welcome with Jesus and, and such, to such an extent that it actually got him in trouble with the religious leaders of his day. And they were like scandalized. They're like, he, he eats with tax collectors and, and sinners because he was so hospitable. But Jesus said in response to that, he said, hey, I came for the sick not for the well. And so we've always wanted this church to be a place where anyone could come and and belong, even before they believe, no matter what their background is, no matter their religious background, their socioeconomic background, no matter what their background, we've always wanted this a place where everyone could come. So with that said, this, this first story features an unlikely hero. And there are two actually, but the first is a guy who used to attend our church and he'd actually just gotten out of jail and a lot of people probably would have looked at him and just dismissed him, but actually he's one of my heroes. And, and one day he was in front of our church uh, before worship started. He was, he was smoking a cigarette and uh, a young man came up to him asking him for a light. And so the, the older guy gave him a light and struck up a conversation. And somehow this older brother who was part of our church talked, the younger guy who had been living on the streets, who was not following Jesus, uh, who was actually deeply addicted to drugs, somehow this older brother talked him into into joining him uh, for worship that day. And um, he later told me, this young man, that when he walked into our sanctuary, the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. And I don't know if he had language for it at the time, but what that was, he was experiencing the presence of God in that moment. And somehow through the worship service, uh, through the proclamation of God's word, somehow this young man came to faith and and he had some church background as a kid, but in that moment somehow he came to faith or came back to faith and he became a part of this family and 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 this church just surrounded him in, in love such love and I, I have to be honest i 've never seen a church love people like you love people church just I want to say uh, way to go uh, you've, you've i've just been so humbled by the love i 've seen in this community. It's been so beautiful to be part of. But I had the honor of baptizing this brother and the church rallied around him and and helped him go through detox and and rehab. And he's been off the streets for several years now and he's now on a professional track and he's actually become one of the core leaders of our laundry shower ministry. And now he's someone who God is using to touch many lives in this city. And is someone God is using to bring hope to the hopeless. And one of the lives he's actually touched so deeply is mine and and the story is actually too sacred to share, but I will just say this, that uh, there was a moment when our, our church faced a need uh, earlier in the year, and, and he was someone who stepped up in faith more than, more than anyone. And I just, I just, all that to say, uh, I will always remember that. And, and for me, it's just such a beautiful story of God's transforming work. In lives and, and he doesn 't just announce good news to the poor that he raises them up to be people who advance his kingdom, who are agents of his hope and love and mercy, such a blessing and honor to be a part of another big value for us has been the word of God is the gospel and i 'll share a story around that one day. I, I received an email through our website, and it was someone who found us online, and through the years, many people have found us online uh, and This was a woman who was exploring spirituality, and she wanted to chat. And I love that sort of thing. So we got coffee, or I think it was tea to be precise. Uh, And when we first met, she was somewhere between atheist and and pantheist. She was kind of oscillating back and forth. And she had so many wonderful questions we met multiple times. And and I just got to share the gospel with her, the good news of Jesus and just process with her. And you know, I've, I've studied a lot and I think I'm pretty well spoken, but really that wasn't really what broke through in her life, as I recall the way she put it, she said, "At one point, it was as though someone turned on the lights. Someone flipped the light switch and she could see. And it actually says in the scriptures, "I once was blind, but now I see." And that's actually what theologians would call regeneration, and what that illustrates is the power of the Word of God. Romans 1:16, Paul says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God." that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And not only does it bring salvation, it's also one of the crucial things that God uses to grow us uh, through his word and mature us. And it's been just such a joy to see how God has taken this dear sister and grown her in him to such an extent that now she's leading a Bible study and she is like an evangelist in her own right. It's just been amazing to see what God has done, that she not only received good news, but now she's someone who's been carrying that out to the world And I don't have as much time as I would like. So I'll just share a couple more stories just briefly. Another big value for us has been the power of the Spirit. And in the words of John Tyson, the pastor I love, uh, he says, we want theology that can't be dismissed and power that can't be denied. As I shared uh, this summer, I've been reading through the book of Acts. And uh, there's one passage in particular that really stood out to me this summer. And it's Acts chapter eight. And in verses six through eight, It says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. You see, that's the power of the spirit on display. But note the result in this city. Verse eight, it says, so there was great joy in that city. Great joy in that city as a result of the power of the spirit at work. And I just want to say, wouldn't that be such a beautiful thing if we saw more of that? In a time when our cities are filled with so much hopelessness uh, and fear and brokenness, if the joy of the Lord were to fill the cities. I believe God has even so much more for us in uh, this area. I'll just share a a short uh, story. And we've seen various various stories, but I'll just share one that was so encouraging to me. We had a a dear brother who was part of our congregation and uh, he had prostate cancer and uh, he got that confirmed medically. Uh, but then before he started treatment, uh, he came, we hosted a healing prayer service with our friends from the Fullerton Vineyard. Love you guys, if anyone's listening right there. Uh, but uh, we, we hosted a healing prayer service and this friend got prayer for healing. And then he went to get a medical scan before he began treatment. And, and when, they, when the scan came back and it was read by some of the best people around, the cancer had disappeared. And I, I remember the doctor said, quote, I have no explanation for this. I have no explanation for this. So uh, just so we all to say, you gotta love that. We've seen four tastes of this. And I think, again, that God has even more for this church in this area. But friends, there's so many stories I could share, so many amazing ways we've seen the Lord at work among us. And, and as you can imagine, church planning has been hard, but it's been such a joy to get a front row seat to see God at work. In, in people's lives, in our cities. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. Now, before I close with just sort of a pastoral word, I just want to remind us of one value uh, that's really guided us as a church. And it's the value of intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. has been such a big deal for us because everything else flows from that. Dallas Willard, and I, you, you knew, I had to include a Dallas Willard quote, right? One last time. He said, <laughs> God has created us for intimate friendship with himself, both now and forevermore. Let me read to you from Mark chapter three, just to kind of root this point. Verses 13 through 15. And this is the story of Jesus calling his first disciples. And it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to them. He appointed 12. Now for what purpose? Notice this. He appointed 12 that they might be with him that they might be with him. That was their number one call. Did they have a big mission? Yes, but Jesus is saying the number one thing, the number one prayer is actually this, to be with him, which is a call to this intimate relationship that Jesus has made available to everyone. And if there's anyone watching, if you've never entered into a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, that is available to you today. There's so much hope in store for you if you would turn to him, if you put your trust in him. There's so much he has for you. He wants to bring life and hope and healing into your life. But this value of intimacy with God has just been such a big deal for us. One last verse, John 15. This has been kind of a theme verse uh, for us. John 15, verse 5. Jesus speaking said, I am the vine. He's using a metaphor here. Uh, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then what Jesus is telling here is that he is the vine. In other words, he's like the source of life. And we're like branches, which means that we don't have life in and of ourselves. And what that tells us, therefore, is that our number one job is to get connected to him and to stay connected to him, to live that life, again, of intimacy with him. And and with that, there's a promise. He talks about fruit, which is kind of speaking to the transformation we've been talking about, that we long to see in our lives and in our cities. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the key to that. And if you will stay close to me, if you'll be connected to me, if you'll put your trust in me, walk by faith in me, not only will there be fruit in your life, but you won't be able to not experience fruit in your life. It'll be the natural overflow of that relationship. And so Vine Church, before I just share a few pastoral thoughts, I just want to exhort you to abide in the vine, who is Jesus Christ, to to stay so close to him, no matter what comes your way, to stand firm, uh, to follow him, to obey him, to love him, to enjoy your friendship with him, but to abide in the vine because he is worthy. John 1 verse four says, "In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind." But to bring it back to the original question, how, how do you say goodbye? Well, part of that involves remembering, remembering our shared story, remembering the why behind the what?" But another thing we see in Paul's farewell in Acts chapter 20 is prayer. Acts 20 verse 36, it says, "When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And what's interesting is I've, I've studied uh, the word goodbye. It turns out that the English word goodbye is actually a contraction of four words. God be with you. And actually centuries ago when, when people were parting, they weren't just saying, hey, I'm leaving. It wasn't just information. It was actually a prayer. It was actually a blessing. It was actually an invocation that while I may not be able to be with you, May God be with you. I came across something uh, John Ortberg uh, said about this topic, and he talks about how 150 years ago, there was a hymn writer named Jeremy Rankin. And when he learned the origin of the word goodbye, in other words, God be with you, that inspired him to write a hymn called, God be with you till we meet again. And it says this, by his counsel's guide uphold you, with his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. And he wrote that so that every week in his little congregation, the congregation could sing that over one another. And actually, it was apparently so powerful that when World War I came, that they would put these words on postcards and send them with soldiers who were going off to war. God be with you. Now, another thing we see in Paul's farewell is tears. So I'm just trying to, to illustrate the text here. <laughs> Verse 37 says, they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Now this is COVID, so we can't do the embrace and kiss part. And even if it wasn't COVID, the kiss part would be weird in, in America, but we may shed some tears. We may shed some tears. There may be some grief. And I just want you to know that that's Okay. But that's normal, that that's holy. My coach told me this summer that tears are actually, I think it was, was it Martin Luther, somebody said, it's also like, like the lubricant of the Holy Spirit. So if tears come, that's okay. Because even in good and God-inspired transition, there is often grief because in Paul's case, as in ours, there is love. And there's a sense of loss. And that's hard. So I just want to say that like Paul, I'm not abandoning you. I'm not deserting you. And I will grieve our absence, but though I may be gone, my love will remain. My prayers will remain. And I will be cheering you on, Vine Church, every step of the way. F.F. Bruce commenting on this verse says, now, he was leaving them. They could no longer count on his personal presence. But though Paul might go, God was with them still. And friends, that's ultimately what makes it possible for us to make it through difficult moments like these. The witness of God with us. I may have just invented a word there, by the way, so that's kind of cool. But Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley, of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You see, friends, that is what makes all the difference in the world, God, with us. And if God is with you, you can face and you can make it through anything. You can make it through anything. And so in this parting moment, I don't so much wanna say goodbye. What I wanna say, church, is God be with you. And I want to thank you for the ways that you've been with Anthony and I these past eight years. And I want you to know that as you move forward as a church, God will be with you. He's been with us every step of the way. He ain't leaving now. Never will I leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise. So know that God is going with you into this new season. And he is with you. Even now, and I also, I, I, I spent a, a ton of time in prayer and even fasting this past week because um, I, I really, I wanted to give you my best and I really just, I wanted to really tune in and hear from the Lord. And as I prayed, I really felt like the Lord uh, led me to speak a word of hope over this congregation. I felt like he said very clearly that just he has a destiny for this church. And I'm reminded of the wedding at Cana in Galilee and how the best wine was saved for the end. And friends, I believe the best is yet to come. But today I I don't wanna say goodbye. What I wanna say is God be with you. God be with you, church family, so that you can continue to be a light in this dark world, so that you can continue to be the salt of the earth, a city set on a hill, and agents of his transforming love and power in this city, in this region and beyond. Revelation 21, verse five, Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. He is renewing all things. And friends, you get to continue to be a part of that. And he will be with you every step of the way as your story continues. I'll close with this. Uh, John Ortberg points out that there's a word in the Bible that is actually much more significant then goodbye when it comes to transitions and things coming to an end. It's this little word, Amen. It's a unique word. It's an Aramaic word, which is the language that Jesus spoke. Uh, but it's actually uh, uh, the, the translators, both the bi- original biblical authors and even the translators of the Bible into English, have not been able to find an equivalent word in Greek or, or English. And so they leave it untranslated. Amen. It's just this glorious affirmation. It's like, yes on steroids, all of God's promises are yes and amen. It's when we affirm something with our entire being and it comes at the end, but there's something about it that always looks forward. May it be so. Let it be done. It's actually the last word in the Bible, the last word in the book of Revelation. And it says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with his people amen. Because life is not a problem to be solved, it is a story to be lived. In Vine Church, I am so grateful to God that for eight years, my story got to be part of your story. And now though I will be gone, my love will remain, my prayers will remain, and I will be cheering you on every step of the way. So dear church family, may God be with you. Amen. Amen.